In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Giuliani is headed to Georgia. You start turning around lawyers into defendants when they're defending their clients. We're starting to live in a fascist state. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. Patricia, how are you doing since the epic AJC four-hour election planning meeting on Monday? I'm going to get a t-shirt that says, I survived. (laughs) It was fine. It was fine. I've not been to that. I've not been to an office, I think in years. So I put on like my suit, like my corporate suit to go to the corporate headquarters. Um, It was very exciting. It's very (laughs) exciting. I'm like, I'm going, I'm going to a fancy building. So yeah, I I enjoyed. I was an hour late because I had another radio commitment, but um, that was great. How are you? Are you okay, Greg? I'm okay. Are you okay? (laughs) I'm okay. So our (laughs) listeners know it's really cool to see all the resources the AJC can bring to bear to cover these 2022 elections. We had about it felt like six million editors in the room, plus about four reporters. No, we had <laughs> we probably had ten or so reporters, ten or so editors. Some brass was there. Some brass was on the line as well. Some of the big bosses to sort of demonstrate the AJC's commitment to not just our political team, which is a small but mighty team of about eight or so people, but to you know we've got local reporters, we've got features reporters, we've got policy reporters who are all going to be, they've already written a lot about the election, but they're going to be writing even more. And it was really neat um, to have us all in one room talking about all the fun that is to come. So if you're listening to us for the first time, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Coming up later, beyond our four-hour meeting, we're going to talk about the message that Georgia Democrats are taking with them on the road. But first... Rudy Giuliani, the personal attorney to former President Donald Trump, is ordered to come to Atlanta and appear before the Fulton County Special Grand Jury investigating whether Trump interfered and tried to overturn the 2020 election. It's just a further uh, desecration of the Sixth Amendment. I was his lawyer of record in that case. The statements that I made uh, uh, are either attorney-client privileged because they were between me and him or they were being made on his behalf in order to defend him. When you start uh, uh, when you start turning around lawyers into defendants when they're defending their clients, we're starting to live in a fascist state. That was Rudy Giuliani talking to Newsmax about how we now know that he is a target of potential criminal prosecution, criminal charges in this 
expanding investigation. And Patricia, this was the big story. I know both of us have been lighting up the airwaves on TV and on radio, talking about this to a national audience. But to me, this is the biggest sign yet that this ongoing investigation into Trump and his efforts to overturn the election goes way beyond Trump. We already knew that the fake electors received target letters. Now Rudy Giuliani has been notified through his attorneys that he could be facing criminal charges as a result of this investigation. A lot of moving pieces here, but the scope continues to expand. It continues to both expand and tighten. That's what I think is so interesting with this Giuliani piece, because so many of the witnesses who have come before the special grand jury are familiar Georgia faces, Georgia lawmakers, other people who we are used to seeing. But there became a phase during the grand jury process where it started to get closer and closer to Donald Trump's inner circle. And the very closest to that was Rudy Giuliani. So seeing a subpoena go out for him, seeing a judge compel Rudy Giuliani to come here in person, and we can talk about that process, um, but then also telling Rudy Giuliani that he is not just a witness, but a target of this investigation. And because Giuliani was acting directly in contact with Donald Trump and directly on Donald Trump's behalf tells us also that this investigation is getting closer and closer to Donald Trump himself and his own actions being under the microscope. So to me, the Giuliani piece, becoming a target is the most monumental step in this entire process. So we're not sure how he's getting here. He complained about air travel because of a medical condition and a judge, Judge McBurney, reminded him that, hey, there's other ways to get to Georgia. There are highways here. <laughs> there's there's Uber routes. There's trains, even maybe a midnight train. Uh, oh, yeah. We don't know how he's getting here. Our colleague Tamar Hallerman asked his attorney that exact question, but we know he's coming. And we also heard from that Newsmax interview, Patricia, he's likely to invoke attorney-client privilege. He's likely to try to get around, avoid answering as many questions as possible. That's just a hunch. We won't have access to the actual proceedings, but it sure seems like he is, we've already seen him do everything he can to avoid taking the witness stand, avoid testifying. And now we know from this interview that he is likely to say, hey, this was attorney-client privilege. Hey, I don't have have to tell you this answer. Yeah, well, attorney-client privilege does not cover crimes, does not cover conspiracies, does not shield somebody from being questioned about a potential commission of a crime. And typically, it is the client rather than the lawyer who invokes attorney-client privilege. Um, I would think he would be, and certainly I've heard legal experts and talked to legal experts who expect him to take the Fifth Amendment uh, to prevent himself from incriminating himself. That would be the way to not answer these questions in front of the grand jury. But yeah, the judge really was not having it when his lawyers were saying, listen, this is a 78-year-old man with a health condition. He cannot travel to Georgia. He did have two stents implanted in July. But I, out of pure curiosity, I wanted to see what Giuliani has been up to since then. And he has been hosting his radio show every yeah. day, including the day after his stent implant. He actually titled that radio show uh, a stent 
in the hospital. He titled the next With day. With an E, I like it. S-T-E-N-T. Yeah, the heart. Then he called the next show the heart of America. So, And mm. listen, throughout every one of his radio shows, this is a New York radio show from three to four every day. A lot of the content on that show was continuing to push election conspiracies. He went on Steve Bannon's podcast from CPAC, C. Bannon was in CPAC, uh, Giuliani was not, um, was talking about the fact that there is no way that Donald Trump didn't win this election, that Georgia was stolen. So he is out there publicly continuing to push these conspiracies against the Georgia elections. And so the judge has simply said, if you, you are talking, obviously, he's talking about the Georgia election everywhere, but the courtroom, it's time for him to come to the courtroom. And so he will be there. We just don't know exactly what he's going to say, or if he's going to say anything, his lawyer said, if anybody thinks he's talking about his conversations with Donald Trump, those people are delusional, in his words. So I think we can expect resistance, at the very least. Yeah, and not surprising at all, because we've seen resistance for weeks now ahead of this testimony, but it's still going to be a major day. The Fulton County Courthouse is going to be a circus. <laughs> it's going to be for sure a zoo. There's going to be a lot of reporters and others and spectators and, and legal analysts all kind of milling about, excited about the day's proceedings, even though there's likely not to be too much action to actually cover. And I know from our vantage, we've already been asked to speak about it nationally a lot because um, this is the investigation that could be the most serious of all the different criminal probes and investigations that are now targeting Donald Trump. This is the one that might not get as much national attention, uh, clearly, but it could be the most significant one that moves forward. That's exactly right. And I think that's why it's getting so much national attention. Obviously, there is the January 6th committee that is looking into everything that happened since Election Day through January 6th. There is a Justice Department probe. There is a New York probe happening on something unrelated. But the Georgia piece of it is related to something is very well known, which was Donald Trump's call to Brad Raffensperger. So that is out there already in the public record. And then this investigation has become quite specific very quickly. Fannie Willis and her team, while people, you know, just a few weeks ago was asking us, is this real? Is this a real investigation? And we were telling them, yeah, this is real. So by impaneling the grand jury, by bringing in dozens of witnesses, this has really gotten down the pike very, very quickly. You know, one of the questions I always get to about this is how is this playing into the general election? How is this playing into the battles for U.S. Senate, the battles for governor's race? My answer is not really. I mean, it's not just Republicans that don't want to talk about this. You know, Governor Kemp is not bringing this up on the campaign trail. Herschel Walker, you know, we've seen statements from him broadly about how all these investigations are witch hunts, but he's not going out of his way to talk about these proceedings. So it's not only Republicans, but it's Democrats. It's really interesting. You know, we have not heard Stacey Abrams, Senator Warnock, you know, if they're asked, they'll talk about it. But we have not heard them on the campaign trail bringing this up, making this a campaign issue, saying, you know, tying this to election security and integrity in Georgia and voting rights issues in Georgia and the expansion of ballot access in Georgia. We haven't heard any of that. It seems like all these top candidates, you know, for various reasons, want to just move away from Trump. Uh, for Democrats, they want to avoid trying to turn this into a, an overheated referendum on Trump. Governor Kemp is probably the same way, of course, because he doesn't want to remind Republicans that Trump didn't support him and actively worked to defeat him in the May primary. And for Herschel Walker, you haven't heard him, A, talk about this investigation, but B, 
really talk terribly much about Donald Trump. I mean, he likes to remind people that even without Trump's endorsement, he feels like he would have easily won the Republican nomination. There's no way to tell, but I, I tend to agree with him. Yeah, you know, it's sort of the the unusual campaign where it feels like all the candidates only want to talk about the issues. They really don't want to talk about <laughs> this background churn of politics. And the 2020 election, in a lot of ways, to me, just feels like it has never ended. It has become this background noise, this constant hum of challenges, of dismissals, of arguments, of denials, of more legislation related to election integrity, relitigating all of that. And I think Republicans, there's no payoff to jumping back into that mess. They obviously pay the price for that at the polls. And then Democrats would really like to just keep it on their own issues. It just feels like such an unknown. It just kind of feels like like a nuclear waste site. There's just <laughs> nothing good to come of getting close to it. You just want to stay away and keep your hands clean. And that's really what it feels like right now. A nuclear waste site. Let that sink in. <laughs> this is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders who author The Morning Jolt. Every night, for me at least, and every early morning for you at least. Uh, Patricia, <laughs> it was great kind of seeing the reactions of our some of our editors at that meeting we mentioned earlier when you were asked to talk about the, the jolt process and you spoke about waking up at 4 a.m. in the morning <laughs> long before many of them are you know, even thinking about getting up, and, and me included, and starting to kind of put the finishing touches on the jolt. Yes. Well, what I didn't mention is, I mean, I'm in bed by 8.45. Like, you work late. So many people work late. I am not. I cannot. I'm no longer wired that way. So for me, if I get up, I'm up at 3.30. And really my point was, and when I started this job, I really wanted the jolt to go out very early so that people could start their days with it. So I'm like, if you're drinking coffee, if you're, I don't know, at a red light, <laughs> you want to read it. <laughs> no texting and Nobody driving. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. But my goal is for our readers to have that first thing in the day so that they sort of can prepare themselves for the day ahead. Especially we have a lot of readers who work in Georgia politics or are sort of like politically adjacent or just super politically interested. And it's sort of like their obsession and hobby. So if you can get your morning newsletter in the morning, that was my goal. And so that's why I get up that early. And I, I enjoy doing it. And then I can be off to be making, you know, I'm making pancakes for kids by 630. I'm moving on with my day. You're, you're like, I'm done with this stuff. <laughs> uh, but my question for you is, 
how are you feeling today? Because last night you were on the uh, MSNBC 11 p.m. hour. I'm doing it tomorrow night. For me, that's easy. That's just, that's kind of my wheelhouse. For you though, you go to bed at 8.45. Oh my God. And then you got to wait up for a couple more hours to go on MSNBC. Are you dragging today? It's been a disaster. I mean, today, I'm not okay. going to lie. Today has been a disaster. We should ask Susan Potter how she feels about my performance today, who is our lovely, wonderful editor. And I've been a little slow on the take today, so... You know, this is also, uh, we haven't really talked about this, but this is also why we have a new product at the AJC called Swing State Georgia, and it's geared at a more national audience too. We have a lot of readers outside Georgia who read The Jolt, but we have a Swing State Georgia now that is basically takes the main elements of The Jolt, but rewrites them with a more national focus. Our colleague, Jamie Dupree, is instrumental in that. So he'll take our hard work, your curating, that's a good word for you, curate and write and author. And then he kind of molds it. You know, for instance, if we're leading with something about Music Midtown for a Georgia audience, he'll take it, adapt it, you know, probably bury the Music Midtown part and then take another item we had that was more nationally focused and move that to the top. So we are always looking for new ways to connect with our audiences here at AJC and Swing State Georgia is one of them. It's so true. I know. I love Swing State. I wonder if that's where a friend from New Jersey heard about us. Maybe she's a subscriber. Um, but anyway, yeah, we have a national audience now because Georgia politics has a national audience. So um, we are here to serve people. Well, Fran from New Jersey was also the talk of our AJC four-hour meeting uh, because all the editors <laughs> love the podcast as, as well, which is good at job security. But they were also marveling at how smart Fran from New Jersey's question is. So Fran, if you're listening... Thank you again for the awesome question. And you too can ask questions. I'm going to plug this at the end, but right now I might as well. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. It's a 24-7 Politically Georgia podcast hotline that our producer, Shaney B., is literally always on. I mean, just you can call it at 3 a.m. in the morning like my drunk friends do sometimes and <laughs> ask whatever question and Shaney B will be right on it. And you know, they won't play the question necessarily because it's ridiculous, but at least we'll hear it. <laughs> yeah, And you know who works all the time also? We're like, you know, you're like, we get up early and stay up late. So does Shaney B. I, oh, I would, you know what? I don't need sleep. I don't need sleep. I don't. I don't believe in sleep, and uh, but maybe occasionally I'll lay down and close my eyes. But I leave the ringer on full blast, so I don't miss any phone calls, especially from <laughs> drunk friends or uh, Greg Bluestein or, or any Greg Bluestein's kids or Greg Bluestein's daughters, more, yeah. more accurately. <laughs> My eight-year-old has perfected her British accent. <laughs> to Frank, this, call the line. What's yeah. with this John Ossoff character? And she's figured out how to hide her phone number from caller ID. So, you know, I answer. <laughs> Thank you for calling the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. I'm Shady B. How may I be of service? <laughs> and, uh, hello. <laughs> hello. May I talk about John Ossoff? <laughs> That is literally her accent. And she she's back at school this week, so we'll see if she remembers doing that. But that, that was one of her favorite summer pastimes was calling, calling the Berkeley Georgia. One of these days, she'll be telling her grandkids about her interactions with Shaney B. But guys, that is why we think the Morning Jolt newsletter and this Politically Georgia podcast is so fun. And it, we hope the newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics 
You can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join our community now, not just by calling that awesome number, but by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast in your first month of unlimited digital access. It's just 99 cents. It's so cheap, Patricia. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. We have some great items for the Jolt coming up this week. One that was just inspired by this conversation. Another, we have breakdowns and how much was spent, how much ad spending has already gone on in the governor's race and in the Senate races. And we also have a deeper look into Senator Warnock's personal finances because he had to disclose those details earlier this week. And so we'll have a deeper dive into that. Yeah, I love going through a financial disclosure report. That is seriously, like, that is my jam. So I love when these disclosures come out, and I love pouring through all those numbers. So stand by for that Joel content. <laughs> we have weird proclivities. At- <laughs> we love going through other people's finances. We I love prank calling our own Listen, hotline. Kelly Leffler's, there is no curiosity that you cannot satisfy with Kelly Leffler's disclosures. Those were amazing. I mean, that was... That was probably the highlight of my disclosure combing uh, process so it's far. It's all politics. downhill from here. <laughs> it's Although true. I'll say Herschel Walker's last last year when we found out he was doing a lot of private speeches but not doing any public events or not doing many public events, that was a pretty good one too. Well, speaking of the Senate race, we, we're talking about a candidate who doesn't have to worry about running for another term for another four years, but that's Senator John Ossoff. He's been out on the trail. We know that Senator Warnock has just basically revved up his campaign bus. So he'll be out later this week. But John Ossoff is already out on the trail. He is in Columbus. He's in Macon. He's going to go down to Warner Robins. He's all over the state talking about provisions in this new, newly signed, signed by President Biden, this federal climate health care tax bill. Here's Senator Ossoff in Columbus talking about one of the provisions in the bill. And this is really a matter of life and death. Insulin is not optional for those who need it. Senator Ossoff was also in Macon talking about a separate measure that helps law enforcement assist people having mental health problems. We want to make sure that first responders, when they uh, enter a situation where someone's in a crisis like that, they have the training that they need. They have the backup from trained clinical professionals that they need to defuse that situation and make sure that everyone emerges safely. Patricia, it's interesting hearing the messaging because now Democrats have to go sell this bill, right? This will become a major, major divide in the Senate race with Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker, and to a lesser extent, but still a major divide between Governor Kemp and Stacey Abrams because Republicans voted in unison against this measure, saying it amounted to a tax hike that won't really reduce inflation. Democrats have a very different perspective. They feel like it will, in the long term, reduce inflation, but in the short term and medium term and long term, help drive down prescription drug costs, uh, help expand healthcare subsidies, and really be, it is the the most significant federal investment in fighting climate change in the nation's history. Yes. And Democrats, I feel like, are running up into the same problem that they have had with some of their previous bills. These pieces of legislation are so big. They have so many tentacles that it is very hard to message on them. And so Alsop is getting out very, very early back in town um, and was traveling on Monday, going to four cities, going to be going across the state. Warnock's going to be going across the state. And they are working to really break this down 
into bite-sized pieces that voters can connect to. And so embedded in this legislation, as you said, is are a ton of priorities for Democrats. And so, you know, if they could steal a line from Donald Trump, they wouldn't want to. But if they did, they could go with promises made, promises kept, which is actually one of the best campaign lines that you could get. I mean, I don't know how it gets much better than that. And when we went to all of these Trump events, you would hear his voters respond back to him throughout the 2020 campaign season, promises made, promises kept. And so that is in a very strange way what this bill represents for Democrats. And so, but the challenge is, again, just breaking down this $300 billion bill, and that's on top of the literally trillions of dollars of federal spending that has gone out the door during Joe Biden's administration on top of what of the trillions of dollars that Donald Trump spent during his administration for COVID relief. It sort of all starts to just be a big lump of mush for voters. And so it is just crucial for the senators to come home and say, I promised you I would reduce the cost of prescription drugs for seniors. I just did that. I just did that with my Democratic colleagues. Joe Biden signed the bill. And Ossoff had an interesting line in uh, one of his press conferences in Macon. He said, this isn't just a bill that is an idea. This isn't just a concept that we've come up with. This has been done. This is law. This is happening. And Mm -hmm. so I think they're going to have to just push that message over and over and over again. And they're going to be out all around the state making that case again. I think Republicans have a much easier job to say, wow, that's expensive and taxes are going up. Yeah, that that spending trillions of dollars will lead to more inflation, which is a, a message they've already delivered and will continue to. You've heard Herschel Walker say that these tax increases will hurt the wealthy, but also trickle down and hurt others. Governor Kemp basically says it's wasteful spending. It's full of all sorts of unnecessary spending. So we'll definitely hear this sort of counterpunch on the Republican campaign trail. But at the same time, you know, Republicans will be talking about their own policies. You know, I, I don't know if this will be front and center for Governor Kemp's next campaign appearance or Herschel Walker's next campaign appearance. They'll talk about, you know, fighting and, you know, the, the Biden inflation and, and all that. But for Democrats now, they've got this massive sales job to do, right? They've got to sell voters, sell their own supporters, but also independents and, and moderates and others on the benefits of this package that, as you said, is sprawling. We don't even know what to call it. I mean, to give you a peek into to our meeting, we were talking about different titles. You know, it's called the Inflation Reduction Act, but we don't generally call things by what the bill title because, you know, the bill could be called the Best Bill in the World Act. We don't call it that, right? We call it whatever the measure is. We call the, uh, the anti-abortion bill the anti-abortion law. In this case, we've been calling it the Federal Health Care Climate and Tax Bill, but even that's a mouthful or we've been calling it the reconciliation bill, which no one knows what that really means unless you're really paying close attention. <laughs> unless you listen to this podcast every single time it comes out. Um, and thank well, you I think for doing one, that. Yes, well, I think, as you should, um, one thing that Democrats can definitely take from this is the message, we can pass bills. We have our priorities. Mm-hmm. We can write them into legislation. The House and Senate can pass those, even with very, very narrow margins. Joe Biden can sign it and the deal is done. And so they needed that message this summer. They needed it going into November, and they finally have that. So you can just feel the Democrat spirits have really been boosted. I also think that the economic numbers are getting a little bit better. Inflation is sort of tapering off a bit. Gas prices are tapering down a little bit. It's not good news, but it's not 
horrible news. So they're really going to have to lean into all of the ways that these can bring down prices of specific goods and services and deliver on some of their other priorities. One thing I think is super interesting for Georgia is that a lot of these priorities, and OSOP is going to be talking about these, um, a lot of these have to do with renewable fuels, batteries, Mm -hmm. solar, and Georgia kind of out of nowhere has become what I think, is it John Ossoff who said uh, Georgia is the Detroit of renewable energy? (laughs) It's sort of like going to be or is poised to be a leading state for renewables and a leading state for green energy. So there has been kind of different language around that, even from Republicans, because they brought that EV factory that's headed for Savannah. Mm -hmm. There is that huge Q cells plant up in Dalton. There um, is the gigantic battery factory over in Commerce. That's really the new heart of manufacturing in Georgia for the future. And so that's something that this bill really represents as well. Two new auto plants that will both specialize in electric vehicles, Hyundai down on the coast and Rivian out in East Georgia. The New York Times dubbed this area the Battery Belt, a name I wish I had come up with, but that's a good one. Um, The flip side of this coin, Patricia, is, as you mentioned, trillions of dollars have already been outlaid, have already been spent or poised to be spent. There's still billions of dollars in Georgia (laughs) from the $1.9 trillion America Rescue Plan, the coronavirus relief aid, that passed without any Republican votes in Congress. There's still billions of dollars in Georgia that have yet to be spent. And Georgia law gives the governor complete control over how that money is spent. And so what's happening right now is that perfectly timed, right before an election, Governor Kemp is announcing some of these grants, some of these funding projects, including a plan to spend about $1.2 billion on subsidies uh, for some of the neediest Georgians. He issued a video where he talked about why he's doing this. We're providing over $1 billion to the Department of Human Services to provide cash assistance of $350 to active enrollees of Medicaid, SNAP, and TANF government benefit programs. He went on to say it was to help fight Biden inflation. And Patricia, that sound you're hearing right now, our Democratic ears blowing up. (laughs) They were so, you know, Democrats, Stacey Abrams campaign and others, furious because essentially the governor who was very much opposed to this legislation in 2021 was very actively against it said it was crazy, said it brings Washington craziness to Georgia, is benefiting from its largesse by right before an election, announcing $350 checks to as many as 3 million Georgians that will be coming right as they're considering who to vote for in November. I know, but for all of their angst, I think a large part of that is because it is exactly the type of move I feel like Democrats would have made. I feel like (laughs) um, if a Democrat were governor, could you not imagine word for word that that would be the announcement? I have decided to give this to the neediest Georgians on Medicaid, TANF, and SNAP. I mean, and it is almost identical to an announcement that Joe Biden made and promised ahead of the 2020 elections that he would send $2,000 checks to every Georgian as they were trying to weather the COVID downturn and just weather that economic crisis. And so this concept of speeding cash directly into the pockets of Americans, Georgians, it is something that ha- that uh, worked extremely well for Joe Biden and for John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. That was a big talking point and it was a big controversy Um, It was a controversy for the Republican senators who said, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want those $2,000 checks. The Republican senators 
eventually came around, but only after just constant messaging by the campaigns of Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff that Georgians and Americans needed those $2,000 checks during COVID. So now here we are 18 months later, it's a Republican governor saying, well, and here's $350 more for the neediest. And so it's really a very, very similar policy, again, with all the same pot of money. You can understand the Democrats' frustration that that Kemp is going to get credit for it, but he could have made a different decision. He could have sent that money to Georgia corporations. You know, there really were no strings attached to that. There was no guidance into what states had to do with it. And so he could have made a different decision, but he didn't. And um, it's a policy that I think, ironically, Republicans and Democrats can agree on. And Democrats, if they had their druthers, it would have been spent on several issues, but expanding health care, expanding health care access, and um, more money for rental assistance, because there's still hundreds of millions of dollars in backlog there that hasn't been spent. Okay, well, coming up on Friday's episode, we'll answer your questions from the listener mailbag that we, that we so love. You can call into, right after we finished yabbering, it's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime, leave a question. We'll play it back and answer your question right here on this podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. We can't wait to hear from you. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks for joining Patricia and me for Politically Georgia. You can count on new episodes. (laughs) Way to go. I said it right. You did. (laughs) I didn't say I. Um, You can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday and every Friday. My high school English teacher, Mrs. Fields, will be so proud. Uh, Or whenever news breaks, we'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, oh, oh.